Good morning. All right, I got a response. I don't always get responses when I say good morning, but I do bring you greetings from Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa. And I actually have uh, always wanted to visit this church. Um, I've worked with Pastor Dwayne before. Uh, he's done a couple of our men's events. Uh, he actually spoke at our car show, our Father's Day car show that we do a couple of years ago. So you have been kind enough to lend your staff to us, and we're thankful that, uh, and I'm thankful to be here today. I love visiting churches. I love visiting different churches for a couple of reasons. And today, it's actually three reasons why I love it. The first one is I get to see Pastor Dave's new digs because I saw his old ones. This is a good upgrade. He's done some, this is, this is really, it's a beautiful spot. It's great. And uh, it's, I'm, I'm so glad to actually uh, see what he's doing. The second thing is, I love being reminded that the church of Christ and the church of Jesus is made up of believers around the world. When I can walk in here this morning and I can be in a room of other people who worship and praise the same Lord Jesus I get this sense of connection. Even in your time of prayer that you just had, well, you grieve, we grieve. And I just love coming and, and seeing um, and being around different believers and um, praising the Lord for what he does through people. And then um, I also really love to see how churches operate. Now, I'm gonna say this in a way that might not sound biblical, but it is. I like coming in and stealing ideas. Because as Pastor Dave said, I am uh, I'm what they call the community life lead and family ministries pastor. So I oversee quite a few areas of ministry. Uh, myself and my team, we look after uh, all of our kids and family, as well as our integration, hospitality, um, uh, baptisms, outreach, uh, all congregational care. There's a lot that's there. So when I come in and I look around, I think, I want to take that idea, I can use that idea, I can take this piece, I can move this piece. A couple of things I noticed when I came in, uh, one is every corner that I turn in here, since I've walked in the door, somebody's praying. Praise the Lord that you bathe this church in prayer. And it was just something that I noticed, that it was just, it didn't matter if it was in a different room somewhere or if it was tucked away somewhere. If there was space and there was people, you were praying. That's a great thing to see. The second thing I took was that somehow you're going to have a dodgeball game between parents and kids. I'm going to pray for all sides on that because I've played a lot of dodgeball with kids and it can go south really quick. So I'm glad it's your own. Um, this is really important for us as well at our church in Oshawa right now because for some reason, which is the Lord we are experiencing this unique uh, growth. It's hard to explain um, how, why, and what, but to give you just a little idea of what the growth looks like, um, we are year over year, and again, I want to make sure you understand this is all glory goes to the Lord, but year over year, 1,300 people were attending last year at this time, and this morning we'll have just over 1,700. Now, that seems like once you get to a, a certain size, what's the difference between 1,300 and 1,700? Our parking lot can tell you that. Where do you park people? How much coffee do you need? How do you take your ministry teams that have been 
um, put together for a certain number of people and then spread them out to cover more. Now, my ministry DNA is to go and find data. I think data tells stories. So what I like to do when I'm looking through this growth is I say, okay, well, where is it coming from? Where is this, where ministry areas seem to be driving and propelling the growth right now? And so I started to do a little bit of research into that. And our overall growth as a church is 21%. But when I looked at it, our overall growth in families and youth ministry is 36%. Which is telling me that what we do with the next generation really matters to our community. And it really does. It really matters to the community that there are programs and people that actually care about their kids. Now, to give you an idea, we had 460 from nursery to grade 12 last Sunday. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of youth. And there's, I'm not bragging about that in any way. I'm saying this is a huge area that we're seeing it grow. But where it stretches us, one service this summer if you are a person here who's ever worked in, the, in a nursery, can you put your hand up if you've ever worked in the nursery? Okay, so if I tell you that we had 42 toddlers in one room, that's walking age to grade three. The stretch that that takes and that puts on people, or not grade three, age three. I saw my wife right there go, that's not right. He said it wrong. No, you're right. It's age three. It's three years old. And that's telling us that, I mean, there are a lot of people that were in that group and that were in that room. And so I did a little bit more research and I said, is this consistent with just something that's happening at Calvary in Oshawa, or is this something that's sort of happening across North America? And what I found was there are three main areas that are the growth engines of churches right now. The first one is ministry to families and next generation. That's the number one driver of church growth right now. Number two, men's ministry. A ministry to men really matters. And the third one is small groups. The more small groups, the more community that you have, the better off it is. And when you think about those three things, they actually all tie into family. It's about getting people involved, getting their kids involved, getting husbands involved, and getting the community around them involved, where people get to know them. So out of those three areas, I have a background where if you had told me 15 years ago that I would be up here telling you about Next Gen Ministry, I would think you were crazy. There was no way that I thought that God was ever going to lead me here. And that's because before I did this, before I got into ministry, I solely worked with adults. I had a corporate career that I worked for 20 years before I ever met the Lord. I didn't meet him until I was in my 30s. And all I ever did was dealt with adults. In fact, what we did was we took data and we broke it down and then we moved businesses and we built them back to sort of say, how do they grow? What's the pulse of it? How does that all work? I had no idea that God was going to use that in ministry. But then I got to Calvary and they said, how would you like to serve in our family ministries? What are you talking about? Like, why would I do that? And I went home to my wife and I said, listen, I'm convinced that I'm called into ministry, but they want me to work in family ministries. I am not qualified in any possible way to do that. 
And she just looked at me and said, um, you know you're a dad, right? Like, you have two kids. You, like, yes, you're qualified. And I thought about that, and I thought, okay, that's a good point. But I thought that, that he was going to take what I did vocationally and what I thought I was wired for, and what God does when we put our rules on him is he breaks them right down. One day I was at a missions conference, and I said, there's no way I'm ever going to do ministry in Asia. Now, missionaries will know you never say stuff like that. Because less than three months later, I was in Singapore, thinking, how did I wind up here? God will take what he wants you to do, whether you think you're equipped to do it or not, and he's going to change you. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78 with me today, and I have good news, there's 72 verses. I'm only going to do eight. We're only going to focus on the first eight. And so I'm going to read them. Um, and just as you hear this, realize what the word is telling us. It says in verse one, my people hear my teaching. They listen to the, or listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you that you bring us together, Lord, that we can dig into the scriptures. But Father, we need your help in this. So God, I pray right now that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will soften our hearts to receive you will prepare our ears to hear. And God, that this just won't be an exercise in learning, but it will be an exercise in conviction and application that we might be changed when we leave here today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing as you read through this passage, and you read through the first part of this psalm, is notice what's above verse 1. Now, when you read through the Psalms, very often verse 1 is actually that little, there's a little note there that says, a masquil of Asaph, okay? And what that just is, is that's talking about, it's saying to you that this is wisdom, that it's teaching, that it's coming from a Hebrew word meaning prudent, and it, you're supposed to contemplate on it. So this Psalm is actually instructing you. That's why it starts with, hear my teaching and listen. So when we work through this, and as we're realizing that we're being taught from the word of God through this, I've noticed six things. Six things that apply to next gen, and I just want to work these things through with you really quick. The first one is this. It introduces the Lord to people. When you focus on ministry to the next generation, to kids, to teens, it's introducing them to the Lord. They may not have heard of him before, that's why in verse 2, it's weird. It says, I will open my mouth with a parable. 
Now, most times if I said, where would you find parables in the Bible? You're going to tell me it's in the New Testament because parables were the way that Jesus spoke. It was a way that he had people affirming their faith. But here he's saying, you're seeing it in the Old Testament. There's a parable. Why does it say that? Why is it saying that you have, that it's going to be like a parable, I'll utter hidden things? It's because they don't know it yet. And whether or not you believe it or not, when, when people first hear the word of God, it's confusing. It's complicated. For those who grew up in the faith, it's complicated. For new people, it's complicated. And so we have to, this is the setup, it's going to introduce people that have never heard of Yahweh, of the Lord before, and it's going to introduce them. They've been taught through oral tradition, they've been through, through it being handed down verbally. And now they're going to need to understand it through the wisdom and experience. And the only way that they'd be able to understand the legacy would be to be taught it. And as I thought through that, there's a few things as I was thinking about kids, because I'm just going to be totally transparent here. I have been shocked by how I, when I work with kids. And one of the reasons for that is Kids are really, really good at asking you really, really tough questions. And that's one of those things that I hear from parents a lot of the time. I don't want my kids to ask me this question because what if I don't know the answer? Well, that's what we're here for. That's what the church is here for. We're, we're here to help you do that. But kids ask really tough questions. We, uh, we do a summer camp. And uh, one, one summer, I had the grade uh, fives and sixes, and there were 75 of them, and we were sitting downstairs, and I had just run through, Jesus is coming back. And I asked this question, seems simple. I said, are there any questions? And I'm like, for the next two and a half hours, these kids fired questions at me. It was like being ordained into children's ministry. I've never seen anything like it. And they were asking me every question from, will my hamster be in heaven with me? To how many trumpets have sounded already? How many scrolls have been opened? I don't know. Like, I'm new in this. I didn't know what to say. But we worked through it. And then when I learned that they ask a lot of questions, I also understand that kids are really good at accepting tough answers. When you think about that, as adults, a lot of the time what happens is we're, the, the scriptures are working against what we've learned. They're working against what we know. We've heard or we've been taught certain things through science or through culture. And then when you're saved, you're trying to wrestle with that. You're almost having to get deprogrammed to understand the scriptures. But a lot of times with kids, they just receive the answer and kind of go, Okay, sounds good. Jesus is coming back. Yeah, he's coming back. They don't ask how. They just say, okay, that's great. He's coming back. When? Well, the, the father says, it says only the father knows. They say, okay, but he's coming back? Yep. Cool. Like, that's all they say. And then you're like, and he's coming back. Not like he came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. He's going to be on this, like, horse and flame. It's going to be amazing. And they're like, wow, Jesus is so cool. It's like, yeah, I know. Why can't as adults sometimes we just take it like that? When you treat kids like kids, they act like kids. When you treat kids like people, they act like people. 
And you have to remember that when you're working with kids because they, uh, if you just give them these sort of kid answers, their faith will only go so far that way. When you just give them real answers, you'd be amazed at what they do. And how we disciple the next generation really matters. There should be a slide here. This is our logo at uh, Calvary. This is our logo for our kidsmen. It's called SPARK. SPARK stands for Supporting Parents and Reaching Kids. Because we understand, and I hope you understand, that as parents, you are the primary spiritual caregiver and spiritual leaders of your homes. So what is the church's job? We're to support you. We're going to do our best to come alongside of you. But you're the ones who get your kids for all of the time. And most of the time. And it sets this foundation. And it sets this, as we're working through these foundational truths, it's amazing what happens. I have a young little guy. At the time, I think he was eight or nine. His name is Nehemiah. So you know his parents read the Bible. We just had one in our church named Boaz. Can you imagine? That's like a good biblical name. Anyways, Nehemiah was in school. And the teacher asked, how many genders are there? This is to eight and nine-year-olds. And this little guy looked up at his teacher and said, two. And the teacher said, okay, where'd you get that from? And little Nehemiah reached into his backpack and pulled out his Bible and flipped it to Genesis 2 and said, from here. Right there, man and women, he created them. Teacher didn't know what to do. This was a supply teacher. And so... They had to do this coat of arms later in the day, and he had to write, they, they, they put on the coat of arms what defines them, what describes them as a person, and he wrote a big cross, and she came over and erased it from his page and said, you cannot put that in here. So she turned around and he put it again, and she came back and she erased it, and he put it again, and as she came back, he looked at her and said, I have all day. This is who I am. And foundationally, when I think about this little guy and how that family has grown up, the, the way that the Lord has worked through him at eight and nine years old, that's what we're teaching kids is to have faith. And so how you set that up and how you set that foundation is really important. The second thing we're going to see here in verse three, it says, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. That just means that somebody has to tell them. Did somebody tell you? If you think back in your mind, who told you about Jesus? There's got to be somebody that did it. The word says that we can't believe if we don't hear. So somebody said something at some point to you where you understood it. And as parents, we sit back and we say, I want Nothing more than for my faith to be put on my children. There's nothing more important as parents to us. We sit there, we just want you to have it so bad. But sometimes, and this is why it's important for the church, is sometimes you need another voice to do it. My younger daughter, Abby, when she was eight years old, she came and she said, I want to be baptized. I said, great. So we went to my older daughter, Emma. We said, your sister's going to be baptized. Do you want to be baptized? And she said, no. And at the time, they were at that age when my wife was still trying to dress them all the same. 
You know how you put your kids in matching outfits? And Emma was fighting. She's like, I don't want to look like Abby all the time. I'm four years older than she is. So I was thinking in my head, maybe what she's thinking is, if Abby's getting baptized, I don't want to get baptized just because, or I don't want to get baptized just because Abby's getting baptized. So I said to her, so why don't you want to be baptized? And she said to me, because I don't know if I believe what you guys believe. And it was like this gut shot. Like, I can't believe she just said that. And I kind of had to catch my breath for a minute. And I said, I didn't come to faith until I was in my 30s. It's not me that does it. The Lord's going to do it, or he won't. But it's up to him, right? So I've got to now sit back and wait about six months later. Because the one thing we said to her was, well, of course, you're still going to come to church. She's like, yeah, of course. And we were doing a Tuesday night program for kids. And there was a woman who said exactly the same thing that Susan and I have said for years. But God used that woman through the church at that time with a different voice. And Emma came home and said, I need to be baptized. Praise the Lord. Susan and I rejoiced. Until one morning, at around 2.30 in the morning, I came past Emma's room and her lights were on. I'm like, why is she still up? So I opened the door and I said, Emma, why are you still up? And she looked up at me and she said, because I'm doing my devotionals, Dad. Like, well, I mean, you're not grounded, I guess. Like, when they own their own faith, when it's theirs between the relationship between your children and Jesus, there is nothing stronger. And the church's job is to come alongside and to do what we can to help them. If you grew up in a Christian home, praise the Lord. If you didn't and you're here, praise the Lord. But you have to remember that everybody that walks into your church hasn't been introduced to Jesus yet. 15 years ago or so, um, I had a friend who absolutely hated Jesus because he just didn't get it. He didn't understand it. And he used to send me pictures of the church building and he would say, this is what took you away from me because I wasn't hanging out doing the stuff that he wanted me to do that we used to do before I was saved. And this Easter... His little guy, James, was starting to ask a lot of questions about God. And Steve, to his, um, his my friend's name is Steve, to, to his credit, went to a friend he knows is a Christian and said, my son has questions about Jesus. What do I do? And he said, you need to take him to church. Little did he know that the church that his friend went to was our church. So on Easter... I see this guy come in with this purple velvet jacket thinking I'm trying to dress for church and his little son asking all of these questions. His son hasn't missed a Sunday unless they were traveling somewhere. That was back in Easter. This picture is just before Christmas. That's me baptizing his dad. And uh, I can't tell you the number of pictures I have of me and Steve before we were saved. And what the testimony of little James did has changed this family's life. Steve was baptized. His wife attends every week. We're still not sure where she is, but she's there every week. Uh, Steve is one of the boldest evangelists I've ever seen. He got all of these shirts made of scripture 
saying how much he loves Jesus, and then he wore them on a Disney cruise to see how many people he could strike up a conversation with. Something else. And it all came through the faith of this little, of his little son. So if it introduces the Lord and it's how he came to the Lord, then the third thing is it brings glory to the Lord. And if we look at verse four and the first part of verse five, it says, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the what? The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. His power and the wonders he has done, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. It's interesting that there's a couple of things in this. Uh, Jesus, there was a time before we knew him. If you remember the time before you knew Jesus and you think back, what was my life like? But there are also times when, can anybody here, if, there was, if I was to ask somebody, do you have a testimony where you can say, I 100% know that Jesus was there? If you have that, put up your hand. Praise the Lord. And it doesn't matter what anybody tells you because of that experience you can look back and say, I 100% know Jesus was there and nobody's going to talk me out of that. Nobody can tell me that Jesus isn't real. Trusting Christ in what's coming forward is taking the same posture of I 100% know that he was there and turning it forward to I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I 100% know that he's there. It's just taking that faith and putting that uh, into action. And that's so important because you get people, it's about telling people and living out what Christ has done for us. He's worthy of all praise. One of the biggest obstacles I have for baptisms is people who come up and say, I'm not baptized. I know I need to do it, but I can't do it. Why not? I don't like talking in front of people. It's like, do you understand you're not telling people what you've done for Jesus? You're telling people what God has done for you. It's not your story you're telling. It's his story and how you've been uh, a part of it. And so it really matters how we bring glory to God through the teaching of the laws and the statutes. I can go to Sunday school with kids and learn something every single time. It doesn't matter how many times I have taught a story. It doesn't matter how many times I've worked through it with them. I can sit in what we call Spark City, and I can, I can preach the word, and every single time it speaks to me differently. And every time, you know what? I get to give glory to the Lord. Your nurseries and your kids' programs and your youth programs are not daycare centers. They're ministries. There are people who are teaching and preaching the word of God to kids. And if you have questions about whether or not Jesus would want you to do that, I'm pretty sure in the scriptures, as the disciples said, hang on, these kids are going to be a problem for Jesus. Jesus said what? Let the children come to me. Don't be a hindrance to that. Let people learn. It's so important that we give glory to God that he's due. Fourth, and if we look at this, the last part of verse five and the first part of verse six, it says, which he commanded, and again, these are the, the things that he's commanded, or the, the laws that he's established, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them. 
That's, um, there's something unique that just happens in scripture. And this is one of those things. There's three things just in those two sentences that don't always happen in scripture. And the first one is, it tells you that this is a command. This is an imperative. It says he commanded them. If Jesus commands us to do it, we do it. That's why he's the Lord of our life. So he's commanded it. That's the first part. The second thing it does is it actually tells you what you're supposed to do. To teach their children. Okay, you are commanded, and here's exactly what you're supposed to do. And then this is the part that you don't always get, is the third part. It tells you why. It says, so the next generation would know them. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to understand the commands of God sometimes. You sit there and God says things and as you're, you're walking through life and he says, hey, go talk to that person. And you're like, I don't want to talk to that person. And he says, no, go talk to that person. And we have a choice at that. We talked about choices. We have a choice to make. Do we actually obey or don't we obey? So if we're going to obey him, we do it. If we don't, okay, we're going to, I mean, does he need us? No. Does he use us? Yes. Are we sanctified through that? Yes. But when God asks you to do something, do it. And in this case, he's actually telling you why. There is nothing, honestly, for a long time, my life verse has been Psalm 139, verse 6. Your ways are too good for me, too lofty, I can't understand them. I think there's like a laziness in that for me, where I kind of sit back and think, I don't know what he's doing, and I don't really want to put the work into it, so I'm just going to go ahead and trust him. But God has his reasons, and even though he doesn't always tell us why, he does here. And he says, because the next generation will know them. And it comes down to obedience in a general sense, but there's also a specificity to this. In other words, sometimes you'll get the Bible will tell you a big picture thing that you're to do, but he doesn't give you specifics. Because if he gave everybody the specifics, the Bible would be really, really, really long. So he gives you these general things that he wants you to do. And one of the things that you have to ask yourself is, okay, so I'm really hearing what he's saying. We need to teach the, the next generation. Am I the person that should do that? Well, having worked in the nursery with a nursery team for a long time, I'm going to tell you that there are some people who should do it, and there are some people who shouldn't. If your slippery fingers don't pick up babies, because you can drop them, but you have to support the nursery. You have to be aware of what's going on so that you can support it. We have a, a, a Tuesday night ministry, like I said, it's our club's ministry, and it's, uh, we have everything from senior kindergarten up to grade eight, um, and uh, we had a, a dad uh, who kept bringing his kids, but I would never see them on Sunday, and I finally said to him one day, I said, you know, you're here a lot on the middle of the week, but I don't see you so much on Sunday. He says, oh, no, 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 we go to a different church. So, okay, well, why are you going to a different, like, like, that's great that you go to a different church. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you the blueprint for everything we do. Go do it at your own church. That's what you should do. Because he says, well, we don't have kids programs. We don't really focus on that. And actually, I think the way he said it was, it's not really our thing. It's like, okay, but we're commanded to do it. Now, he kind of went the opposite way. He didn't start a program at his church, he just started bringing his family to ours. And that's not what we wanted either. 
If he's there, he's there. If he didn't feel that that was what to happen and we took him, but here's what it does tell me is that if, we, if you don't take care of the kids in your congregation, somebody else is going to. And you better know what they're teaching because this is foundationally, these are your kids. So should you or shouldn't you? Should you have kids ministry? Should you be the one who's doing it? I don't know. Should it be done? Yes. It's easy sometimes because it says, so the next generation would know them. And as you read through the scriptures, it very often goes back to different generations. It says, like the generation before, like the generation and the generation before that. Just remember that we always need to be looking backwards. Sometimes our Christian journey isn't just looking through a windshield. You got to look in the rear view and you got to see what's coming up behind you because that's the church that's coming behind you. They're going to be the ones that are here sooner than later. Fifth, verse, the second part of verse six and verse seven, it says, even the children yet to be born would know these. And, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. This is a lasting legacy for the Lord. That's what this is talking about. There's a legacy. When it says even the children not born, that doesn't mean that you, you're preaching to, to children in the womb. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying that you're setting a pattern that is coming forward. You're setting the pattern. You are either keeping a pattern of belief going generationally. In other words, you're passing the scriptures on and God will work generationally or you are breaking a pattern, or you are starting a pattern of disbelief. Because you're saying, I'm not teaching it to anybody. And if they can't, if they don't hear, how will they believe? Passing on what God has done to your children isn't the greatest example of that in the, isn't that the gospel? Doesn't the gospel say that the father sent his son that we might be saved and we are adopted as his children? God wants us for eternity with him. And he treats us as his children. So our job is to keep pointing it to the next generation, to the next generation. You'll hear that in the curses and the blessings. It'll say, and the sins of the father will go to their children. It's talking about how what you do actually matters for your kids. And what I hear often from parents is, I want the best for my kids. I hear that from grandparents now even more. Because the kids are, their kids aren't there. We have more grandparents bringing their grandchildren to church because the parents won't do it. It's skipping generations. We can't be doing that. We have to be starting this pattern of belief with kids so that they will teach their kids and they will teach theirs. We would give anything for our kids or our grandkids. God gave everything for us. Our job is to model that. And finally, as we see in verse eight, it says, they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits we're not faithful to him. This is a use of something called contrast. It takes the negative to emphasize the positive. It says, don't be like that generation, but rather be like the one we just talked about. Look, at the end of the day, 
And, you know, we prayed for a lot of loss today. And at the end of the day, we're all going to stand before Jesus. And he's going he's, he's, he's to review your life. He's going to review the choices that you've made. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be, and if we look at the first part of verse 8 again, do you want to be a stubborn and rebellious generation? Or in contrast, do you want to be those with hearts who are loyal to God and who are faithful to him? Let the children come to me. Let the next generation be built up that he may be praised. So when we do stand before him, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the band to come up just while I close us in prayer. Father, we give you thanks today that you have saved us. God, your word tells us that we are saved by grace through faith and that this is a gift from you. Father, we don't give faith, but we point people to the author and the perfecter of faith. God, I, even as I was sitting here this morning, and, and Lord, as I, hear, as I heard kids leaving here and, and going to their time of, of learning about you, Father, how I pray right now that their hearts would be changed even as we sit here today. Father, I thank you that you trust us with children. But God, you command us, teach them. Teach them that they may give you the praise and you the honor, that they may find saving faith, for you love them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.